Hi, everybody. Welcome to January 21st. I'm Amanda Barker. And I'm Bill Antonio. This is born on this day. It sure is, Amanda. Yes, yes, that was my drink that I just hit. So <laughs> we're starting off January twenty first with a with a bang, or at least a shake. Yep. At least a shake. Hey, Bill, do you know what today is? I have a feeling it has something to do with uh, tree scramblers, Amanda. It does. It's <laughs> this one's making me laugh. It's Squirrel Appreciation Day. Yeah, they um, It's apparently its own hashtag. Hashtag Squirrel Appreciation Day. Um, how, what are your thoughts on squirrels? Well, they're very cute, although they're not as cute as chipmunks. I was actually sharing chipmunk videos with friends the other day, and I was saying how squirrels are basically chipmunks who failed the swimsuit competition. Um, <laughs> but they are cute. And in my neighborhood, you know, now that we're all inside all the time, they have fully taken over. My, my garden is just uh, mm. covered in them, and they come, up to the, they come up to my window, and they look in to see what I'm up to while I'm working and all that stuff. So. You know, the first time I ever went to, came to this neck of the woods in Ontario, I, the first place I ever went to was Kingston. I came in on a, on a train, like you do, and I believe the year was 1993 or 94, and I looked out the window and I saw all these huge black, I thought, rats, and I did not know <laughs> what they were. I had no idea what they were. Yeah. I was like on the fourth or fifth floor. I had never seen squirrels the way we call in Toronto squirrels. They are very different out east. Okay. Um, they're small, they're cute, they're woodland creatures. Here they are, you know, um, urban beasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I and I actually didn't know for the long... A lot of us here don't realize that squirrels are, like, only in our part of North America. And, mm -hmm. like... Australians know that people go there to watch kangaroos, you know what I mean? While it's like right. people come here and they're like, oh my God, I want to see squirrels. I've never seen them. And I'm like, it never even, I never even realized that people don't know squirrels out in other places. So I'm like, yeah, have at them. Yeah. Our, our squirrels were very small and gray. Um, and uh, here you can see a small gray squirrel, but they're actually more often very big and black. Yeah. And, or brown. I see a lot of brown ones. Gray ones yeah. I find when I've been to like Michigan, I see way more gray squirrels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You know where there, there's also black squirrels actually is Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. They, uh, for some reason shipped a bunch of them down a long time ago. Oh, wow. Uh, including, uh, an albino squirrel. Cause we have albino squirrels here too. I have a are... feeling this is turning into an episode of the insomnia project. I'm just guessing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Let's get to. I, I don't know why I did such a deep dive on. No, squirrels. that's okay. But I will say one cute story is that when I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, once in University <laughs> Town, I saw a gray squirrel holding a piece of newspaper, and it looked like it was reading it. And I thought, wow, they're smart here too. It's amazing. <laughs> okay, well, people who are born on January twenty first are smart as well. They're cool on the outside. They have an inner magnetism that puts them in the spotlight. Um, they can appear somewhat egotistical, but they're generous souls. They're sexual, they're spiritual, they're intelligent. These fun-loving men and women and anyone else um, have it all, and they have it all on their terms. What a what a what a day to be born. Well, what a person to start with, Amanda, because I think that's very true of our first birthday celebrant, who is one of my favorites on this list. Gina Davis majored in drama at Boston University before making her film debut in the Oscar-winning 1982 hit film Tootsie in her underwear. Roles in Fletch and The Fly led to her first major starring role in Beetlejuice, the same year that she appeared in The Accidental Tourist, for which she won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. 
She received a second nomination for the 1991 classic Thelma and Louise, the next year starred in the summer's biggest hit, A League of Their Own, and in 1995 starred in the century's biggest bomb, the pirate film Cutthroat Island. She starred in the movies Stuart Little 1 and 2, a season of The Gina Davis Show, and the series Commander-in-Chief, for which she won a Golden Globe. Since then, she prefers to spend time working on her skills in archery, which almost got her on the U.S. Olympic team for the sport. And in 2004, she launched the Gina Davis Institute on Gender in Media, which works collaboratively with the entertainment industry to dramatically increase the presence of female characters in media. Through the organization, she launched the annual Bentonville Film Festival in 2015. For this work, she was awarded the Jean Hersholt Humanitarian Oscar. Last year, she appeared on the third season of Glow. She was born on this day in Wareham, Massachusetts in 1956. So much to talk about, so much to <laughs> to dive into. Where's I'm Wareham? Just, uh, Wareham, yeah. I think is I think it's mid state. I could look. Okay. I think it's like Worcester area. Um, uh, hang on, now I, now I have to know. But um, I'm very sad that Glow is no longer with us. Yeah, I mean, it would be great if for some miracle it was resurrected after the pandemic. But you know, getting everyone back on schedule and. Uh, back on track and you know i'm sure that there would be contracts to renegotiate and stuff like that and it would you know netflix might just decide it's not worth it oh i was really wrong about where i'm okay you know what it's it's um it's not far from the bridge to the cape it's sort of on the other side oh, okay. as you're as you're going down to uh, new bedford mm-hmm. but it's not an area uh i would go to very much so even though it's very close to where i'm from that's very funny uh well michael wincott is the gravelly voiced character actor best known for his role as guy of gisborne in the 1991 robin hood film starring kevin costner prince of thieves he also appeared in born on the fourth of july the three musketeers strange days alien Res- Resurrection and the diving bell and the butterfly. He's often thought of as British because the roles he's played um, are often that, but he's actually from Scarborough, Ontario. He was born on this day in 1958. I had no idea he was from my neck of the woods. And also celebrating a birthday today, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the incredible, incomparable, and highly successful Shasta Lutz is celebrating her birthday today. If you don't know Shasta, she is arguably the most prolific casting director in Canada, um, heading a commercial casting house known as Jigsaw, and she's been there for more years than I know she wants me to admit to. (laughs) (laughs) um she she does incredible work i've seen her uh, advocate for actors in the room for for artists in the room of all kinds including writers for incredible scripts and uh she's also very philanthropic in her spare time helping animals of all kinds and uh and people too so happy birthday shasta well as soon as i get my new headshots shasta i'll be working my way onto your good side so i hope you have a very (laughs) happy birthday she always loves a new face oh well even on an old face. <laughs> Karina Lombard was a model who appeared in Elle and Vogue magazines while studying at the Lee Strasberg Actors Studio in New York. She played her first major film role in Wide Sargasso Sea, the prequel to Jane Eyre in which she played Bertha Mason. It was followed by what is one of her most famous roles in The Firm with Tom Cruise and as Brad Pitt's wife in Legends of the Fall, so two of her most famous roles. Later, she appeared on the series The L Word and made appearances on CSI, NCIS, Rescue Me, and The 4400. She was born on this day in Tahiti in 1969. I don't think we've ever had a celebrant born in Tahiti. I think that's a first, yeah, as well. She's yeah. very beautiful. This woman, Not a very good actress, but she's very beautiful. 
Listen, God is fair. Sometimes you don't get to have it all. <laughs> yeah. Isabella Miko studied as a dancer at the National Ballet School of Warsaw, but had to stop because of multiple injuries to her vertebrae, knees, and ankles. Yeah, it'll do that. Mm-hmm. Switching to acting, she appeared on Polish television before coming to Hollywood and also studying at the Actors Studio. She debuted in the 2000 film Coyote Ugly, following it with the films The Shore, Clash of the Titans, Step up all in the show's Chicago Fire and an episode of Criminal Minds. Anyway, she was born on this day in Lodz, Poland in 1981. Coyote Ugly is always fascinating to me and I've actually never seen it. I need to watch it. It's really not good, but I have a I think I've mentioned before, I have a really hilarious memory of seeing it in the theater with my best friend John who was like stomping his feet to, to the <laughs> rhythm the entire time. He was so into it, you know? Well, and there's I'm a always... whole chain of Coyote Ugly bars I in know. the UK. Oh, in the US as well. Oh, is there? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've danced on a few different uh, bars. Yeah, because we don't have them here, I don't think. Coyote Ugly. I mean, I don't know if they're still around. Um, I know there's one in Nashville that I've been to. I know there's one in... Um, where was I dancing in one? I want to <laughs> say Michigan. Somewhere in Michigan. Wisconsin. There's one in Milwaukee. Oh. Um, but uh, the thing I love about Coyote Ugly is that it was written by um, Elizabeth Gilbert. A lot of people don't know that. She oh, doesn't get a lot of credit for it. Yeah. But that, that was based on, the movie was based on uh, the article from for Vanity Fair that she wrote, which is one of the first things she ever got published, which was about obviously her, her days as a writer working in this bar. And it was an actual bar in New York in the Lower East Side. Oh. And um yeah, it's one of the first things she ever wrote. And of course, she went on to write Eat, Pray, Love and a bunch of other things. But um, people don't associate it with her. And I always think it's just a funny thing because it's as much her as Eat, Pray, Love. Interesting. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Robbie, is this me? Yep. Okay, Robbie Benson <laughs> was a teen idol in the late 70s, early 80s for the films Ice Castles, Tribute, and Harry and Son, then later scored one of his biggest roles without appearing on screen when he provided the voice of the Beast in the 1991 Oscar-winning Disney classic Beauty and the Beast. He continued to provide his voice to Exo Squad, The Legend of Prince Valiant, and various Disney shows and games, while also appearing on Sabrina the Teenage Witch and American Dreams. He was born on this day in Dallas, Texas in 1956. Actually, that was wrong. That one was me, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, that one was actually me, but I totally uh, screwed up. Oh, well, we've ruined the show. Anyway. Wait, what happened? What did, I, what did I say wrong? I made you do two in a row, Amanda. I'm making you work too hard. Oh, oh, I was like, was he not an exo squad? <laughs> <laughs> how could you how could we tell the how people? How could you? <laughs> um, anyway, silliness. Uh, Ken Leung emerged from Manhattan's downtown theater community in the 1990s and flourished in non-traditional productions that included Jeff Weiss's Hot Keys and Terrence McNally's passion play Corpus Christi, which I was in in Toronto, Ooh. then appeared on Broadway in Thoroughly modern Millie around the time that the work in film picked up, including Red Corner with Richard Gere, Rush Hour, Keeping the Faith, and Cameron Crowe's Vanilla Sky. More recently, he was on Personal Person of Interest, Zero Hour, and The Blacklist. He was born on this day in New York City in 1970. Telly Savalas served in World War II before studying psychology at Columbia University under the GI Bill. Breaking into acting, his bald head and imposing demeanor often saw him cast as heavies, bad guys, cops, scoring early success with his roles as Gomez in Birdman of Alcatraz, for which he was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Other roles include Cape Fear, Johnny Cool, and 
as Pontius Pilate in The Greatest Story Ever Told. In 1969, he joined the James Bond franchise as one of the many actors who played Blofeld in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And then in 1973, landed the role for which he is best known. Lieutenant Theo Kojak was a star of the television series from 1973 to 1978, iconically always with a lollipop in his mouth, and that was uh, actually Savalas's way of quitting smoking. He won two Golden Globes and an Emmy for the show and continued the role in seven, several rather television series and movies to follow, while also appearing in Cannonball Run 2, episodes of The Love Boat, and his last film, Backfire, in 1995, which was released a year after his death at the age of 72. He was born on this day in Long Island, New York, in 1922. He um, was like, it's almost like I thought he was a family friend when I was a kid because (laughs) I have never in my life seen an episode of Kojak. It ended when I was one years old, one (laughs) year old. Um, But the one thing I remember knowing from when I was a child was that Telly Savalas was Greek and he played a Greek guy on Kojak. Like I always knew that. Oh, that's so funny. He was a big guy. Yeah, that he actually got to play a Greek guy is actually pretty great. Yeah, because there's a lot of Greek people in the New York film industry who would play Italians, right? Because of like Uh The Godfather made Italian Americans really like glamorous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But you rarely saw them be Greek. So other than The Exorcist. Right. Um, Yeah. A Montana boy born and raised on a cattle ranch. Steve Reeves grew up to be a physically impressive specimen who pursued professional bodybuilding after finishing his army service. He played small parts as strongmen in various television shows and movies before his ship came in when he was cast as Hercules in the 1958 classic film, and it made him a star. He followed it with a career full of sword and sandal epics, including the Hercules sequel, The Giant of Marathon, Duel of the Titans, and Sandokan the Great making his last film in 1968, after which he retired and spent the remainder of his life promoting steroid-free bodybuilding and enjoying life on his ranch. He died in 2000 at the age of 74. He was born on this day in Glasgow, Montana, in 1926. And Amanda, it's been a while for me since I've touched another human being. I've been watching a lot of Steve Reeves movies lately. <laughs> uh, Steve Reeves. Very beautiful. Isn't that um, isn't that in Sweet Transvestite? Isn't he? Yes, I love watching Steve Reeves movie because he made Gladiator movies. So, like, I'm sure there oh. were a lot of closeted gay boys who were like, "I go for the action and adventure." Um, <laughs> but he was actually genuinely very beautiful, even if you don't go for that kind of muscle man bodybuilder type. Because he was right. the only one. He was the only one of the bodybuilder stars who wasn't a complete butterface. He actually had a really, really beautiful face. I see. The rest of them, when you think of like Lou Ferrigno and Arnold Schwarzenegger, even Mickey Hargitay, like those guys have faces you could pry a a tin can open with. Um, (laughs) While Steve was actually really pretty. And apparently just a really, really nice low-key guy who just made movies until he could afford to buy his ranch and live on it happily for the rest of his life. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I kind of love that. I kind of love there's such grace in people that went, you know what? I did the thing. I don't need to do more of the thing. And I'm quite happy yeah. in the money that it'll continue to make me if it does. You I know? think it's also he injured himself very badly on one of those movies. Um, and yeah. the injury just kept getting aggravated with each further you know, stunt that he had to do. And mm-hmm. so that also got to the point where he's like, I can't do this anymore. You know, and he wasn't yeah. much of an actor outside of his like physical prowess. So it's not like he was going to 
move into character roles or something. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And Wedgworth was a character actor, uh, an actress that many of us grew up to love thanks to her recurring role as the lovelorn Lana on Three's Company, the woman who was always trying to get Jack alone in his bedroom. Oh, Jack, finally. <laughs> when he was like, Lana, let's go hide in the bedroom. Jack, finally. <laughs> I loved, Often, I loved her too. Uh, I love her more now, of course, but because uh, as a child, I it was all very confusing. <laughs> what you know, when you when you get all your um, gender identity from Three's Company, it it leaves a lot. It you does, know? yeah. <laughs> Anyway, often playing Southern romantic types, she appeared in Sweet Dreams with Jessica Lange, uh, who also did a lot of the same, um, the romantic fantasy Made in Heaven, and as Aunt Fern in Steel Magnolias, the woman who makes the armadillo cake for the main character's wedding, which I quite credit with starting the tradition of groom's cakes. Oh, yeah, uh, probably. I've never even heard of that before. Nobody did. And then suddenly everybody wanted a groom's cake yeah. because of that damn armadillo cake in that movie. Anyway, a graduate of uh, the actor's studio as well. She had a career on stage, winning a Tony Award for the Neil Simon play Chapter Two in 1978. She was a regular cast member of Evening Shade in the 90s. She worked until her final film, The Hawk is Dying, in 2006, after which she retired. She died in 2017 at the age of 83. And she was born on this day in Abilene, Texas in 1934. Yeah, I just loved her. She was so great so great i mean she was just fun how they didn't find a role for her in the best little whorehouse in texas i will never understand but yeah good point yeah comedian and actor john early wrote produced and starred in his own episode of the characters plus has appeared on broad city wet hot american summer difficult people and the films other people neighbors Two, and beatrice at dinner he currently stars on the comedy Search Party and provides a voice on Close Enough and was born on this day in Nashville, Tennessee in 1988. He's also a really great stand-up. Uh, and he wrote all those? Oh, interesting. No, he was, he was no, in. He was in. Yeah. I was going to say, wait, what? But Sorry. As, a, as a stand-up comic moving into acting, there's always a lot of writing involved on these people's resumes as well, right? Yeah, that is true. Sorry, that's what happens when I take a drink while you're... No, it's okay. <laughs> um, you're allowed to do the same for the next one. Jay Carroll Nash was a character actor in the 30s, the 40s, and his gift for dialects seeing him cast as Arabs, Italians, Pacific Islanders, Hindus, Mexicans, African Americans, and Asians. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in such films as Beau Jest, Down Argentine Way, and The Pied Piper, just to name a few. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor twice in Sahara in 1943 and a medal for Benny in 1945. He made his last film Dracula versus Frankenstein in 1971 and he died just two years later at the age of 77. He was born on this day in New York in 1896. Uh, wow. Very typical of Hollywood in the 30s. He was like I think he was like pure Irish um, but he had a very uh, <laughs> dark complexion so he always played every ethnicity you could possibly think of. Look at him up now because I can't picture him. He was born Alfred Hawthorne Hill, but after pursuing a career in comedy inspired by his youth spent in burlesque theaters, he went professionally by the name Benny Hill. He began performing in London variety shows and on the radio before breaking into television with his popular comic impressions. In 1955, he starred on his first sketch show, The Benny Hill Show, which lasted until 1968 then started again under new management and continued until 1989, increasing in popularity when it began airing in North America in the late 70s, and my father never missed it. Hmm. He also made few, a few appearances as an actor in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, The Italian Job, and Those Magnificent Men in Their Flying Machines. 
Despite his wealth and success, he never owned a car, did his own shopping, lived in a two-room apartment, never, but never used the second floor. According to one of his obituaries, he once refused to repair the leaky roof in his mother's home because it was too expensive. He died three years after the Benny Hill show ended in 1989 at the age of 68. He was born on this day in Southampton, England in 1924. It's interesting. Interesting. Like It sounds like he was actually cheap. Uh, yeah. And probably one of those people who's like so traumatized by childhood poverty that they can never yeah. get over it. Yeah. That's interesting. I loved him in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, though. Um, I've never seen that movie. <gasps> what? No. Uh, yeah, I loved him. I'm pretty sure he's the doll maker in that. Um, I think so, yeah. And, and I used to do the song of the doll for various failed auditions. But um, he, uh, Marco and I always talk about Benny Hill Show because as a kid, I really, really, really detested it. And uh, Marco really loved it. So. Well, I mean, it's very guy humor. And then yeah. there's a lot of guy humor involving like uh, bodaciously buxom young ladies who just was, accidentally have their shirts ripped off, you know? Like, yeah. It's not... As a child, I just, as a, as a, as a child feminist, I just couldn't get behind it. Uh, even though I didn't have that language and I, it always would come after three's company. So <laughs> right. I'd be watching, you know, Chrissy snow or Lana or Janet being like, those are my three options as a, as a woman. Mm-hmm. And then I'd watch girls, um, get, you know, grabbed get get assaulted really enough, on the i mean i'm sure my dad loved looking at these lovely young ladies but he actually loved it for the um like the because he always did those slapstick routines where it was basically yeah. silent footage of him chasing the little old man around and that's yep, actually yep. what my dad watched it for that's so funny yeah well jill eikenberry barry <laughs> jill eikenberry not dairy or Larry, uh, graduated from the Yale School of Drama before making her Broadway debut in the early 70s, starring in The Beggar's Opera, Lotta, Summer Brave, and Saints. Film work began in the late 70s, including An Unmarried Woman, Between the Lines, and Lina Vertmoller's The End of the World. In the mid-80s, she had breakthrough success on the series L.A. Law, on which she co-starred with real-life husband Michael Tucker, and for which she won a Golden Globe and was nominated for five Emmys. Since it ended in 1994, she's since appeared in a number of TV movies and episodes of Law and Order, Body of Proof, and the film Young Adult. She was born on this day in New Haven, Connecticut in 1947. It's how you know someone's retired to New York is when they've been on a few episodes of Law and Order. Like they just pull you in yeah. to be an expert doctor or witness or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are, what are other blue bloods? Yeah. I feel like everybody's just jumping in for yeah. a day of blue bloods right now. Robert West Smith became a famous DJ in the 60s under the name Wolfman Jack, so-called because of his raspy voice that sounded like a wild animal. He's considered the first radio personality to introduce rhythm and blues music to a mainstream audience, opening the doors for African-American artists to reach widespread success widespread success in the music world. More than just announcing songs, he delivered a unique personality that put the music in context and made his listeners feel like they had a relationship with him. In 1973, George Lucas cast him as himself in his nostalgic comedy, American Graffiti, and it led to Wolfman's appearing in a number of films and television shows to follow, including The Odd Couple, Police Story, and the American Graffiti sequel. He made his last appearance on an episode of Married with Children in 1995, the same year he died of a heart attack at the age of 57. He was born on this day in Brooklyn in 1938. 
Paul Schofield performed for the British troops during theater school, then moved to Stratford and had great success developing a Shakespearean repertory in a number of plays that included Henry V, Love's Labor Loss, and Measure for Measure. Moving to commercial theater in the late 40s, he also appeared in a number of film roles, including The Train with Burt Lancaster and A Man for All Seasons, for which he won an Academy Award for Best Actor. More interesting uh, and interested in focusing his work on the stage, he made a few films but still managed a number of memorable roles including A Delicate Balance, Kenneth Branagh's Henry V, a second Oscar nomination for Robert Redford's Quiz Show, and the 1996 film version of The Crucible, which ended up, unfortunately, being his last film. He died in 2008 at the age of 86. He was born on this day in Hurst Pier Point, England in 1922. And last but certainly not least, Christian Dior was born today in 1905 in Grandville, France. He was a French fashion designer, best known as the founder of one of the world's top fashion houses, also called Christian Dior. Dior was nominated for the 1955 Academy Award for Best Costume Design in Black and White for Terminal Station, also known as Indiscretion of an American Wife, directed by Vittorio De Sica, and was nominated for a BAFTA for Best Costume Design for Arabesque. This, you can tell this is not me writing this because Marco's putting in all the details here. Um, Christian, <laughs> Christian Dior died while on holiday copy, in Montecatini, Italy. <laughs> what? I'm just saying copy, paste, yeah. copy, paste. Love you, Marco. Uh, he died while on holiday in Montecatini, Italy, on uh, October 24th, 1957. Some reports say he died of a heart attack after choking on a fishbone. Uh, Time's obituary stated that he died of a heart attack after playing a game of cards. However, one of Dior's acquaintances, the Paris socialite Baron de Redé, wrote in his memoirs that contemporary rumor was that the heart attack had been caused by a strenuous sexual encounter. Well, let's hope. Um, as of 2020, the exact circumstances of Dior's death remain undisclosed, but of course he is uh, one, still one of the most influential names. He is he is basically the definition of haute couture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I have to say, I bought a pair of Dior sunglasses last week, and I just returned them. Don't like them. Too small. Well, I'm going to guess that Dior sunglasses are something that happened well after his death in 1957. <laughs> you don't think clearly contacts has no. the... No. <laughs> the ready to wear line um anyway well listen i appreciate you more than squirrels i appreciate you more than squirrels and i think you do win the swimsuit competition amanda (laughs) i'm gonna go watch a steve reeves movie in your honor enjoy they're all on youtube enjoy (laughs) see you tomorrow